And as I was turning on the freeway, I'm getting on the 60 freeway, going onto the 15, I literally just doze off for like a few seconds. And as I doze off, bam, straight into the wall. So I don't turn the freeway, I go straight through. I wake up and I'm literally flying in the air, my car spinning, I see the other freeway underneath me. And then that's when I'm like, God, don't let me die. This is Sean Ireton with the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. And uh, before we even get started, before I even get into Omar's intro here, I want you to stay tuned till the very end of the episode. I've got a very special surprise for for you from Omar. Um, so, with that said, stay tuned till the end. Listen to this amazing interview. So, this is Omar Iribe, and we actually met at a BNI chapter. Uh, in the Long Beach area over a year ago now, and we've kept in contact ever since. This guy's just, he's just an amazing dude and just really cool to be around. So um, after staying in touch, I just knew that he needed to be on the show. He's got some amazing stuff to talk about. He's very accomplished. So I know he can provide value to you guys. So this man was a part, has been part of the Southwestern family of com- companies for 15 years, over 15 years. He's currently and has been serving for the past three and a half years as a professional sales and leadership coach for Southwestern Consulting. And he's done many international trainings from Brazil to Mexico to Spain, Canada, Scotland, England, Czech Republic. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He's been to so many other countries. He's also served as a leader for the MITT or the Mastery and Transformational Training Program for three years. Lewis Howes participated in that program, by the way. Um, Omar loves himself some dancing. He recently ran a half marathon last month, and he did triathlon just a few months ago. Uh, And he's also recently completed his master's program, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But thank you so much for being on the show, Omar. It is a pleasure, Sean. I'm honored and excited to be here with you and share some really good things on how to, how to be impactful, be of service, and be a gentleman. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Of course. Um, so Omar is on the show to tell his story. He's, he's going to dig into kind of his origin story a little bit, how he got to where he is today, why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and then we're going to discuss the importance of sales. We're going to talk about why it might feel so gross to people and uh, like to be sold to and all these other different things and misconceptions about salespeople in general. Um, And then we're going to get into some actionable insight on how to improve your sales skills without being sleazy or slimy like some other poor salespeople have misrepresented the profession. So um, before we jump into questions, let's expand on your origin, origin story, Omar. I don't really necessarily want to go over your highlight reel of business successes or anything, but I want to get into your personal story, some of the challenges that you've been through, and and again, why you are who you are today, why you're doing what you're doing. So let's go from there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you once again. Uh, I was born in Mexico, in Sinaloa, in a small little ranch called El Sitio del Medio, Badiraguato. 
It's uh, a few hours away from Culiacán, which is the capital of Sinaloa. And uh, I, I want to start with you just how I have that mindset of just being tough and getting out there and living my life to the fullest. And it's a story my mom tells me, right? Because I was very young. Um, I was born November 28th, right? 1981. Oh, and by the way, uh, before, sorry, before, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I thought it was the 29th of November. 28th. Okay. 28th of November. Yeah, because I saw some birthday wishes on the 29th, so I didn't know if it was belated. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I thought your birthday was on the 29th, and I was, like, super, like, excited because the 29th is my mom's birthday. Oh, and, okay, okay. <laughs> and, and January 28th is my birthday. So, mm-hmm. so we all have similar days there. But anyway, sorry. Very much so. No, no not a problem. <laughs> um, and my mom, uh, young age, 20 years old, right? Um, she uh, had me at a young, young age. And a few weeks later, about three and a half weeks or so later, my biological dad was living here in, in L.A., and back in the days, you know, internet wasn't really around, form of texting wasn't really around. So by the time he knew I was born and he had something to do, he was going to fly out or, you know, go and visit me. Um, he was actually uh, killed. He was shot and killed. Um, uh, long story there, but um, by one of his best friends. And uh, my mom was left alone with a, with a child at a very, very young age. And she's really my inspiration, you know, at a young age, she, in order for her to feed me, in order for her to, you know, keep that kind of life for for me to be healthy and support me, she would actually sell. So that's where the selling piece comes in that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But she would literally in a ranch, you can imagine she had no car, she had nothing else, but she would carry boxes of Avon with her and then me on the side and she would literally go door to door in in the ranch from one ranch maybe takes her another hour to get to another ranch and then another hour to get to another ranch whether it rained hailed she would be working and as she developed that skill she moved into the city took me a little bit under her wing to go to the city and she would sell shoes she would sell merchandise and as I got more expensive, <laughs> liking good things that she, she got me, she came to America and she left me with, with my grandparents. So my grandpa, my grandma are the ones that took care of me at a young age. And she came out to L.A., to um, South Pasadena area. And she worked and she worked really, really hard, was able to send money over. And when she was able to, um, at six and a half years old, she brought me to, to the States to, to live with her. And that was the beginning of a new life for me, a new world. I still remember the first moment that I arrived to America. I was in Monterey Park. Uh, everybody was loving Asian. I was like, this is America. Okay. I don't understand anything. <laughs> and uh, I went to school with not a word of English. And uh, I just started watching TV, learned it. Um, worked really hard in school. I was really good with math. So I excelled in math pretty well. 
but the language uh, was definitely a challenge in the beginning. And my mom, I remember when she brought me here, she's like, hey, you're here because I want you to have a really good education. I brought you in here so you can have a better future. Um, you know, you're, you're my son. We're gonna, you're going to be successful. And the way that I can instill success is for you to be strong, have a positive man- attitude, attitude um, uh, have God in your life, and, um, you know, go to school get an education, work really hard. And that's really what planted. It was a seed that planted in my head that that's what I needed to do, which was go to school, have an education and do my absolute best with everything that I, that I could. Um, you know, she remarried, have a new husband and we have, I have another brother and sister along with my stepdad, which he's my dad. You know, he's, uh, he's the one that raised me and I'm very thankful and grateful for him. Uh, and, and that's how I started. That's how I started coming into into America. Uh, a little bit of a funny story. If you turn on the TV, right, what channel comes on first? Back then it was channel two. And what came out early in the mornings, uh, The Price is Right with Bob Barker. <laughs> And uh, I remember my, I told my mom, I was like, oh, my God, I love this. Like, I want to be on that show one day. Um, 19, oh, no, 15 years later, I was on The Price is Right and won a car. <laughs> so that's a little side note, which is really interesting that that was the first channel I turned on and show that I watched to learn English. <laughs> that's way cool, man. That's super rad. How about you? <laughs> Uh, I, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's great. So um, I had a question. So as far as like when you were growing up and you were going through school and you were having a hard time with, with the language, you had the language barrier. Did you get, did you get made fun of a lot? Were you have going through a lot of issues there with, with the language barrier? You know, there's a few things that I remember from childhood. Um, one of them was definitely... Uh, that aspect, um, not only from my teachers, but also from peers, um, you know, not knowing the language as well. I was made fun of that. I had an accent. Um, you know, people would tell me to go back to Mexico or certain things that were very offensive. Um, sometimes teachers would say things in English and I didn't really understand. And then I would kind of get in trouble the next day because I didn't do a certain homework or the one that I remember was in second grade where I was so excited to be part of this theater performance and she had said something about I guess a a slip that I needed a sign and I didn't understand what she had said and she's like you get to stay in and not be part of it so that that was a a childhood memory that you know made me really sad because I didn't really understand what was necessarily going on um but one of the big impacts as a young child that not only affected me because of my language was, um, you know, I had certain mannerisms from Mexico. Um, I grew up with, you know, my, my grandparents, like I said, I grew up with them and most of them were females. The males were out in the farm fields um, working. So I got taken, taken care of by like five, six, seven women at all times. Um, so my mannerisms, uh, I was made fun being told that I was gay, that I was a fag. I didn't know what that was in the beginning. I was like, I have no idea until later on, you know, little by little, I understood what they were saying. So growing up, I was made fun of quite a bit because of, um, my mannerisms and being told that I was, you know, feminine. Um, so I was kind of like thrown off from a lot of the male guys. So a lot of my friends were females, a few males that 
as well. But um, that definitely played a role in making me a tough individual and um, building my own self-confidence when maybe other people didn't believe in me. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so did you, did you, how, how long did it take you to kind of figure out like, um, that your adversity was a strength? Like how, how did you start to take some of these shortcomings and some of these difficulties and how did you figure out how to, how to make it a strength? How did you, how did you start to overcome some of that stuff? Um, a few things. One of them, thankfully I had really, an incredible mom, incredible aunt that always build me up. Says you're a smart kid. You're do, you're doing great. You're really good at what you do. You're you're learning a lot. And also, I started learning, you know, from the Bible. I had um, like Bible study and a very thing. A thing that I was instilled in me at a very young age was that God has my back. And he's always there for me. And if God can be with me, who can be against me? So I really remember that no matter what is going outside in the world from me, that I am still a child of God and I'm loved unconditionally. I am powerful. I am part of this divine love that will never go right regardless of what's outside. And that's, I would say, is the biggest thing that kept me uh, empowered by all the adversity and um, said, Hey, you know, if you have challenges that, that just means that once you overcome them, you're going to become stronger. And my mom, my family would say, Hey, when you learn English, when you get out of the situation that you don't quite understand things, you're, you're going to become stronger because of it. So I was told that at a young age that because of my challenges, I would become stronger. And I really bought into that. That's awesome, man. So how did, at what point did you realize that you needed to start moving on to this path that you're on now? Like when, how did you figure out that you needed to be in sales, consultings, trainings, like, um, and maybe that wasn't necessarily super early on. Like maybe you didn't realize that you needed to be specifically in sales training, but like, how did you, where did you start to begin this journey? Funny thing, right? When I was a little kid, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I always had that in my mind that I was going to be a doctor and volunteered at hospitals, took all the AP classes for like biology and everything that was going to make me a doctor when I went to college. But it's interesting because from a young age, um, whenever they had sales, you know, like fundraisers in school, I would always be like the top salesperson. Uh, a friend of mine made like chocolates and she would sell them for like Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. And I would be her salesperson. I'm like, let me go sell this. Let me go door to door and sell these candies and chocolates. And I loved it. And then I would buy wholesale lollipops and sell them <laughs> in school. I got in trouble in high school once because I was selling during school and made money and that's how I would pay my, my way through a lot of things. Um, so I wait, guess, I wait, why did you, okay, so wait, wait, hold on. Why did you get in trouble for, for selling like candy and stuff? Like, why was that a problem? In high school, I got a referral. Um, I don't know if it was because it was during class. I don't know if the bell had rang yet. I don't think it, it did, but I did sell and, and that was during class. I, I can't remember if it was before or after, but the teacher saw me that I was selling and she took me to the principal's office and I got a referral from it and just stopped selling for candy for a while. And wow. it literally was those apple candy lollipops and all this other stuff. <laughs> 
That's funny. Back in the day when referrals were a bad thing and now in business, it was such a weird thing for me. Like when I started to get into business as a kid, I would hear a referral and just have like some of those like almost PTSD moments where it was like, Oh shit, it's back in high school. Now is this, is the yard duty going to come out and escort me away? Like what's going on? <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's funny. Um, what other, what other kind of stuff did you sell? So that was in high school. So I still applied, um, to be a bio when I applied to, to school for college. So I got into UCLA as a, a bio major, took all my, you know, requirements. I loved science, um, you know, did well with it. And when I was a freshman year at UCLA, uh, I got recruited by, by a multi-level company. Uh, they were selling like internet services, um, and at the time, I was like, I don't really know what this is, but it sounds kind of cool. And they would teach me things like the first thing is like, here's Jim Rowe. Listen to this and like just buy into it. I would sleep with Jim Rowe in my ears just listening to the tapes back then on how to build my philosophy and how to, how to be a servant selling individual. So that's really at a very young age, I started listening to like Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins. And I just did it for fun. I, um, I worked for this company for about a year and a half, did really, really well, recruited tons of people all around Canada, uh, America, obviously, Mexico, the Philippines. I was literally traveling at 19 years old, building teams from doctors and lawyers and everybody. And I, I loved it. I really loved um, connecting with people, building on them. So a lot of that listening and a lot of uh, connecting with people. I learned uh, through this multi-level company at a very, very young age. And um, I was still in school, you know, and I do remember how I got into Southwestern because I've been there for the company itself for 15 years. I remember being 20 years old. Um, like I mentioned, I had won a car on the prices, right? <laughs> which I learned through these skills on how to connect with them because they interview you before going in there. <laughs> and as, as I had won this car a year later, I was just studying like crazy at UCLA right before finals. And at the same time, I was working an incredible amount of time for this, um, this um, multi-level company. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in school, but you're just like, sometimes you're like watching and you're listening. You're just kind of like, you just doze off. Your head just kind of goes down and you're just like, I'm falling asleep. So I was going home from UCLA, you know, Westwood area, all the way to Fontana to do my presentations, to build my teams. And it was right before final. So I was studying quite a lot. And as I was driving home, I was about I was driving on the 60 freeway going on to the 15 to Fontana and I was just falling asleep and I'm just like okay I'm almost home I rolled down my windows I had a sunroof so I opened my sunroof and then I just like put loud music because I'm like I need to wake up I'm almost home it was about midnight and I had I usually wake up super early and as I was turning on the freeway I'm getting on the 60 freeway going on to the 15 I literally just kind of like doze off for like a few seconds and as I doze off I go, bam, straight into the wall. So I don't turn the freeway. I go straight through. Oh, and I shit. hit the wall. I wake up. 
and I'm literally flying in the air. My car's spinning. I see the other freeway underneath me and the car as it's going through that slow motion, I literally see my life flashing between my eyes. Like when I was in Mexico, you know, walking to school in the dirt in, in a farm, crossing the Mexican-American border, first day of school, all the way through first day of college, and then I see a funeral. And I'm in a casket, and then my mom is watching over me, crying. And I'm literally just in a casket. And then that's when I'm like, God, like, don't let me die. Like, I felt like there was this energy. There's no voice or anything. I can't explain it, but there was this kind of energy saying, like, are you or pretty much asking me, are you ready to go? Like, this is okay. This is for you. It was very peaceful, very calm, but there was this, this, this energy. And then I was like, God, don't, don't let me go. I'm not ready yet. And then as soon as I said that, that energy kind of just went away. The car hits the ground, hits the dirt, spinning around. I have like my motor that popped into my car. I have scars in my arms, in my forehead. And how I don't understand as it was spinning, I take off my seatbelt. I pretty much fly off the sunroof, the car like spinning out, completely wrecked and totaled. And then I land on top of my Bible, which was in my trunk, in a suitcase. As I land into it, the car is like burning out. And literally, I'm right on top of my, my Bible, my cantico. And wow, that is crazy. Yeah, I get up, and people are like all over. I crawl up the freaking freeway through this dirt path. You know, 10 minutes later, the ambulance is coming, and, uh, you know, they rip my nice pants that I had on. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, the pants, not the pants. <laughs> I do remember saying that. What are you doing? I could just take them off. <laughs> they ripped through them. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. Uh, but the reason why I share this, Sean, is because that was really um, um, a transforming moment for me where, you know, I did. I literally, in my body, in my being, said, like, I could have been gone. Like, I get to live my life to the fullest. I get to do everything that I'm meant to do because it could have really, I could have not been here, you know, in so many different ways I could have not been here. And that really taught me a lot, a lot to live in the present, to live in gratitude and just let go of anything that's not serving me in whatever way as much as I can, because I do remind myself of that. Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, I went to the hospital, my parents came around three, four in the morning. By the time I got out of the hospital, it was like five or so in the morning. Um, you know, anybody that just flew off a freeway, 80 feet in the air and their car pretty much explodes. Um, I took a shower, got ready and I asked for a car so I can go to my meeting that started at 8 a.m. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Just no, with bandages all over my head oh and my, my face. God, not even <laughs> wouldn't even let yourself take so a break. Wow. <laughs> so people are like, "You have an excuse of why you're late. You have an excuse of why you didn't show up." Like I have bandages in my head and <laughs> just flew off the freeway, but I still made it and I'm on time. Wow, wow, that's crazy, man! I can't get over that. There, you painted such a vivid picture. Like I'm just imagining myself in that situation now, and it's like that's really scary. Um, wow! So that got you into sales, sort of, right? Like it, 
the reason why I do that is be the setup because um, I also sold perfume for about uh, a few years, which I loved. I had so much fun. That's the way I paid for part of my school. Um, it was the, I had an incredible time selling perfumes. Um, but I got into Southwestern because I was approached to sell the before while I was in this company, but I'm like, I don't want to do that. I make so much more than what I could in that company. Um, but what happened was because I had this crazy accident and I'm like, I either have to decide of like working with this company that I'm working an incredible amount of time or be in school. Everybody that was in this program that was in school quit school and they just went through this multi-level marketing. And I made a decision that I was going to stick to UCLA because it reminded me of my mom. Like I brought you here to have an education. So that's when I said, these people that have been approaching me to, you know, to join Southwestern, sell books door to door during the summers. Um, one of my friends did a, a presentation, one of my public speaking courses that said, hey, I made $40,000 during the summer selling books door to door. And so I approached, I'm like, all right, I'm in. Like, train me, teach me, uh, I'll do it. So I quit the company or, you know, I left it there. My team to this day is still doing this company after, since what? almost 18 years. So um, I decided to sell books door to door. And I tell people when you think about knocking on doors, living in California, going to Nashville for training, um, it's pretty much Southwestern teaches students how to run their own business from every aspects, from how to interact with people, how to ask qualifying questions, how to connect, how to answer objections, how to close a deal, uh, how to get referrals, how to learn about your territory, learn about your products, deliver your products, train on your products, and then build a team to do the exact same thing. And uh, my first summer, it was in Virginia. And um, being from LA and Mexico, going to the East Coast was a whole different world, 2003. And um, it was challenging. Uh, a lot of people say it's one of the hardest summer internships a college student can do because of the experience I've had. I was having so much fun. I'm like, I just get to focus on one thing. I don't have to do school. I don't have to do anything. Um, so I was the top student from UCLA that year that was number one from it, top in the company out of 3,000 students, top 1% um, because I really enjoyed it. And that's where I really learned about servant selling. It's really about serving other people. It's really about selling is not selling something that somebody doesn't need, but it's really figuring out a way that, you uncover a need and then if there is a need you give them what we call a buying atmosphere if i'm going to give you a really good look at these books and you think your kids are going to use them and kids are you going to use them great i'll show you how to order a set i'll deliver them myself at the end of the summer but if you don't like them or you don't think you're going to use them just give me a friendly thank you and i'll be totally fine with it and i and i meant it so that's when i really started learning about how to be a servant when it comes to sales, I'm serving a product, I'm serving a service versus what you think about, you know, selling. Right. Versus like, versus the sleazy used car salesman, typical persona. Right. Um, so based on your experience and what your actual clients have been through, why do you think sales is so difficult for so many people? 
there, there's different reasons why sales can be challenging. Um, I recruited for this company for Southwestern uh, Advantage for 12 years. Um, I recruited students from the U.S., from Canada, from all around. And I would say that some of the toughest things to do when it comes to sales is number one is that we don't, we fear rejection. People don't like to be rejected. So when you hear no, we sometimes take that personally. We feel that they're rejecting us as an individual versus the service or the product. So number one, what I would say, rejection. Uh, number two is sometimes when, at least for the summers, you experience so many different emotions when you're by yourself, when it's up to you to get motivated, when it's up to you to go out there and talk to somebody that you never met in your life and you're approaching. Um, so dealing with yourself, your own emotions can be a little bit tough. You know, so I, I feel that it's about the fear that we have about not being good enough, about lack of confidence or rejecting me, or uh, I don't maybe believe in my products, I don't have enough conviction in what I'm doing. So oftentimes those are the challenges to really get out there and sell. Um, and then the other reason is because schedule. We don't have a schedule. We just say, I want to do this, A, B, and C, but then we don't plan, right? What's that saying? We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't plan to fail. We fail to plan. So a lot of it is because people don't follow a schedule. They don't follow, uh, they don't stick to their word of what they're going to do. So fear of rejection, fear of, you know, missing out, fear of failure, not having a schedule, not having a plan. And then the third reason is attitude. If you have a negative attitude in the first place, right, if you think you can't or you can't, you're right. So if your attitude is not in the right set, if you don't have an attitude, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. I'm going to stick to what I can control, which is my attitude and my activity and my schedule. If those things aren't in line, Selling is the toughest thing out there. So if you have a winning attitude, if you have a positive attitude, if you say, you know what, like I'm going to go and serve people. It's not about me. It's about them. And I'm just going to provide to as many people as I can. And if you have an attitude, I'm going to treat people well, whether they buy or not. If I'm just going to get out there and do my absolute best. And you know what? People do buy from me. People love me. People love working with me. If you have that mentality, you're, you're going to have so much more fun doing the job versus, oh, my God, who am I going to call next? Oh, they're going to reject me. What if I don't know how to connect with them? I don't know the industry so well. I knew. And we start putting all this fear into our heads. Then you're like, oh, I knew it. It wasn't going to work. And that attitude isn't going to take you anywhere. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good point. I mean, that's something that I was actually talking about with my last guest, uh, Dan Mendelo. Um, in that session, we talked about limiting beliefs. We talked about different negative emotions and thoughts that you have. And he's, he actually, he dares the listeners or dares, not, not the listeners, but he dares anybody who says that mindset is not a real thing. If mindset is not, uh, it's not something that you should focus on. It has nothing to do with success or anything like that. He says, for those people who say that, I dare you to walk into, for example, a sales call and 
like think that the other person hates you or doesn't believe in the product that you're selling or, you know, already hates you before you walk into the room. Yeah. Just try selling to someone with that kind of mindset and see what happens. Cause it's just not going to work. Um, so interesting you brought that up and, and, you know, common, common knowledge, but, um, I, uh, I was curious, like f- for me anyway, one of, one of the things that I go through and I would love your answer to this is for people who feel the same way as I do. Sometimes I feel that me selling to someone is a weird version of like not understanding servitude. I understand what I'm doing is here to serve them and I'm giving my expertise. I'm giving what I I have to offer to people and the exchange is money. It feels to me like I'm getting things instead of me giving to them, you know? And so when I'm selling to people, I have this weird mind block of getting in this zone of, 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 I'm expecting money from this person to give them what I have to offer. And therefore it doesn't feel like I'm serving them. Like what, what, what recommendations or advice do you have for people who are going through this exact same thing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One thing that I learned while selling books was to number one, read something positive in the morning. So I started with the greatest salesman in the world by Ogmandino. And a lot of it is um, having the right habits, uh, leading with love, taking action, right? Bring laughter, be the master of your emotions. So there's a lot of really powerful principles that I would read every single day before I went out there and talked to any prospect. So I would say, clean your mind first. Uh, And what I learned about it, it's not about me. It is not about me. When I'm going to go out there and I'm going to serve people, I'm going to call on others. It is not about me. So it's really about focusing out on other individuals. So what I would do that served me and it helped me, Sean, was that I would read something positive in the morning. I would call people and pump them up and tell them how great and loving they are. And I would journal. And the way I would journal is in gratitude. So I would visualize all the beautiful families, helpful individuals that I was going to serve during the day. And I thanked God of all the people that he put in my life to serve. I would thank him for all the no's. I would thank him for all the rejection. And believe me, I got rejected. I got the cops calling. I got called names. I got kicked out of homes. There are so many different things that happened. Whoa. So I need to know about that. Like how, what, what got, what got the cops called on you? That's what I want to know. Uh, I worked in Jersey my second summer and um, you know, after nine 11, right. It was kind of fresh 2004. So it was pretty recent. My name is Omar. You know, I'm a tall guy. After a few weeks in the summer, I get really dark. <laughs> I have people behind me, other men shadowing me. So imagine in a middle upper income area with two men at 8 a.m. knocking on your door. <laughs> so got the cops calling me about 39 times that summer. So almost like Whoa. one every other day. That's crazy. Throughout, I knew all the police officers are like, that's Omar. You should buy books from him. Some of them bought books from me. So <laughs> I knew the whole <laughs> that's awesome. I knew the whole department. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, just, you know, people have fear. So somebody knocking in your doors, like, that you don't know, you never heard, you know, a lot of things happen. So... 
people would call on you. So I would write on my journal saying, I'm thankful for my no's. I'm thankful for my yeses. I'm going to be out there serving people. And there was a moment my first three weeks where I wasn't selling as much. There was moments that I felt that I wasn't really good out of what I was doing. And I felt that I was bothering people more than I was helping them, especially when you knock on 60 doors and 50 of them say no. And the other nine say, I don't want your products and your services. And I don't think they're good because I have all this other stuff. And you still are looking for that one buyer for the day. You can get really discouraged and feel that you're not in service. But there was a family that I do remember uh, my first summer that, you know, I hadn't sold anything during the whole week. And there was a family in the middle uh, of the week that the kids were like, come back when my mom's home. It's going to be Friday. And, and I hadn't sold anything. I was kind of discouraged. I'm like, am I going to go all the way over there? And if they say no to me, like, why am I going to do that? But I just remember, no, I promised that I was going to go. Okay, I'm going to go. And you know, that mentality in that moment where it was very negative, I was like, not so excited. And when I knocked on their door, like, Omar, thanks for coming. My kids said that you were going to come and everyone's really excited. Come right in. And they were super friendly. And I was like, all right, well, I have the books that I was going to show you. And I started showing them and they had a middle schooler and two elementary kids. And the elementary kids are like, oh my God, this is where you have trouble helping us with math. And then the middle schooler is like, oh my God, dad, this is where you have all my history information wrong. And they're just really excited. And, you know, obviously the internet wasn't all that up you know, in 2003. And they were just really excited about these products. And I remember the mom, she took me to the corner and she looked at me and she said, like, Omar, you have no idea how hard this is for me. I work all day long. I come home. I try to help all my kids with homework. And it's been so long since I've been in school that sometimes I don't know how to help them. And you can see just tears coming down her eyes. And she like gives me the biggest hug. And she says, thank you so much for doing this. You're doing such a good thing. She's like, I'm gonna tell my family about you. I'm gonna tell my friends about you. Thank you so much. When I came back to deliver the books, like she had like a dinner for me. She was just so grateful for somebody coming into her door and talking about education and talking about how they can be better parents and be better for their kids. And that really taught me a lot. Maybe I had 60 people that said no to me that day. I had a hundred and something, 300 that said no that week. But I always remember that family that even if I help one person because of what I'm doing, then it's worth it. And I'm sure you can relate. Like if you help one person become more confident because of the way they dress and their mindset and the way they carry themselves like it's worth it. So I really loved and I stuck, stuck around, you know, that much longer because I really felt like even if I serve one person because of my service and my product, it's all worth it. Does that make sense? So that really carried me through and I started doing better because my attitude, I'm like, who's next? Who can I go serve? Who's next? If I got no's, I'm like, where are the yeses? They're like Easter egg hot. They're out there. I know they're <laughs> out there. So I got excited to go knock on doors because I wanted to find those families that I can help. And, and that really kept my attitude up and my servant attitude that I just go talk to the open-minded people. And if I can go talk to open-minded people that I can serve, a lot of them are going to say no, but there's some people that are going to say yes. And that really was my foundation 
on how I can use service in what I do to, to go and, um, you know, show my products and some will buy and some won't, but who's next, who is next. And, and um, I started having a lot more fun when I didn't make it about myself and I made it about other people. Great. Um, so when you are, when you're in the process of prospecting and when you're in the process of uh, finding the next yeses, uh, what are some of the questions that you ask these people, both qualifying questions and other sales questions? Like what are, what are the, some of the things that you ask them? Very good. Um, oftentimes my idea is seek to understand um, uh, how to win friends and influence people is like, be really curious about people like show uh, a genuine interest in other individuals. So that's kind of like my mentality is like, be really interested in others. Um, because when you ask about how did you get to where you're at? Tell me your story. Who are you? How'd you get into this industry? How'd you get into this business that they start talking? And if you let people talk, they'll talk. They, <laughs> the saying is, if they are talking, you are selling. <laughs> Uh, so get really excited about that. Tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about where you're at. And then depending on the, on the, on the servers or the products, um, I have a technique that I kind of use when I meet people. It's called CLASP, C-L-A-S-P. It's kind of like an acronym. Uh, and it's also like a metaphor, like, you know, a woman's bracelet is CLASP is like a loose commitment um, before you actually share your products or tell them anything about cost or anything. And it's pretty simple. What it stands for is C is tell me about your current situation. Currently, tell me about you. How'd you get to where you're at? How'd you get into this industry? Uh, who are you currently using with, uh, like, you know, when clothing, where do you currently shop? You know, if they're in mortgage, who are you, who's your, who's your, uh, who are you working with? If you're a realtor, who's your preferred lender? So just where are they currently at? So you can ask that question in different ways, right? Tell me your situation, right? So that right. would be the C. Yeah. So current situation, the L it stands for what do you like about your current situation? A lot of people do not like asking that question because you're like having them talk about whoever they're using about what they like. So if somebody's like, I currently shop at Nordstrom's, tell me about it. what do you like about Nordstrom's? Oh, I like the variety. I like that I can turn everything back in. Wonderful. So what we're doing is we're letting them speak about all their hot buttons. And what does that do? They're building trust. They are connecting with you. They're giving you all their hot buttons. And all those objections that would come up later on about why they don't want to change or change their current situation, they're giving you all that ahead of time. So what do you like about where you're at? You can adapt that to anything in any industry, right? So that's the L part of class. The A stands for what would you like to change or alter? If there's anything that you would alter about your current situation, what would that be? Well, sometimes I don't like to go shopping because I end up buying one thing and I end up buying 20 things that I didn't need, or I don't have time to go and shop for this, or I don't really know how to combine all the clothing that I have or whatever that might be. Or my current, you know, lender doesn't always communicate with me. So I wouldn't, I don't like that. So the A stands for alter. 
if you had a little magic wand, what would be your perfect situation? Tell me about that. And here's the part that's really important in this. We want them to start getting emotion, right? Sales is emotional, right? It's a, it's a, it's a process. So I like to say, what about that didn't you like? Or what about that? Why is that you, that you would, you would want to change? Tell me about that. Ooh, was that frustrating? Why was that frustrating? What happened? So what we're doing, we're really getting them to that point of dissatisfaction and they're reliving the experience because people won't change unless there's pain involved. People won't change unless there's that moment of dissatisfaction. And that's when you really are listening and you're letting them relive what they don't like because in the moment they might not remember, but if they remember, they're open to that change. And I totally can understand that. Oh, yeah, that, that must have been really frustrating. So they're just telling you everything that they don't like and why it's frustrating and why they are open to change. Right. And this is where you have to be a genuine person too, right? Like the difference between a sleazy salesman and a salesman who's using this strategy to diagnose the problems. It's like a good doctor versus like some cheap doctor in Tijuana or whatever. That's like, that really doesn't care. They just wants to make a quick buck. Right. I mean, it's just about genuinely caring about the other person. You're right. Because then you don't know how to help them. If you don't know the pain, if you don't know the diagnostic of what's wrong, then you won't know how to help them. If it's say, well, I feel great right now. I don't think there's anything wrong. How are you going to support them? Tell me about when you did feel bad, what happened? Tell me about that process. Well, I felt this pinch and this was happening. This, they're reliving the experience so you really know if you can serve them or not. And they're going to give you an option whether they say yes or no with you. But it is really important. It is, and people don't like doing that, Sean. Like people don't like to bring pain. People don't like to remember all those different things. So people skip over that. And then they wonder why they get objections. They wonder why they don't, they say, hey, I need to think about it. Send me some information. I'll get back to you. They wonder why all that stuff happens is because of this part where we didn't really bring up that pain. We didn't bring that point of dissatisfaction. And you brought a great point. If you go to the doctor and at that moment you feel great, they're not going to know how to help you. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so that's, that's exactly it. So the S stands for signer. Are they the decision makers? Are they the ones that are going to make the decisions? Right? So it's like, besides, I don't want to step on anybody's toes besides yourself. Is there anybody else involved in the decision making? You can tailor that. And then the P stands for paint the picture. So this is really when, if you really listened, you can repeat back to them. It's pretty much paint the picture of everything that they told you and repeat back to them. So for example, you know, if, if Sean, if I can show you a way where you can have great quality clothes, have somebody that's always there to support you, but also somebody that actually comes to your home versus you not having time to try to go out there and shop, is that something that you would like to move forward with and talk about? And what's the answer at that point? Yes. Yeah. And that's the technique key that you clasp them. So you pretty much repeat everything that they like and everything that they didn't like. And if you can do both of those things, is that something that they would like to move forward with? And that's a key. That's a, a, a closing the gap. So that's, that's really about building rapport, building connection, but having a genuine interest in them that if you can come up with a solution to their need, then you can move on. If they say no, then, Hey, you move on. 
but that can take three to five minutes. That can really be something simple, short, that you can really connect with somebody and ask those qualifying questions because those questions are telling you a lot about the person. Okay. Um, now this kind of brings us into the next topic I want to go over, which is online marketing and online marketing has created a very interesting dynamic in sales in that it's preferable to be anti sales and prospects are educating themselves now more than ever on your particular product, your service. How do you think these different types of shifts in sales are changing the profession? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that I just came back from um, a, a quick workshop that talked about how to use hashtag, <laughs> how to use hashtag with something that's like personal to your brand with something that that isn't so you can have more viewers, connections, followers. And it is a, it is a changing market, you know, coming from somewhere that we did everything door to door. Right. And it was really about what we call word of mouth. And as Facebook and everything came out, we saw a change in the media of how we needed to approach. So we started putting a Facebook page. We started taking pictures with our customers and uploading them online. And then we started having them write reviews about us and the, and the products because then that way the community started to learn about all this, right? So there's a few things that people are doing, especially with our company, whether it be educating people by doing quick little videos on sales techniques and sales topics. Uh, we do what we call complimentary, customized, immediate results workshops. So for example, I call on sales leaders, sales managers, and talk to them about, hey, what area in your industry or your team are you currently working on? Is it social media? Is it time management, is it prospecting? And the way we do it is we have a one hour complimentary workshop to support you with that. And that way I can be in front of your team, be a different voice and do that. And sometimes people would take videos, hashtag that, put it on social media and get out to get the word out. But you're absolutely right. It's about educating and it's usually complimentary or free knowledge, free information and where people want to know more, they'll reach out to you, right? So it's this very non-sales technique that we quote unquote call, but it's really about service. Once again, so when you educate others, when you're giving your time, when you're really uh, genuinely interested, it's still the same thought. It's still service. It's just yeah. in a different way. What's really interesting too about that is that's something that I've noticed and I see it in marketing more often now than ever uh, where you get some sort of free offer, enter your email address, get our free guide. I mean, I do it. I have it on my website. I have a free how-to beginner's guide to building an extraordinary image and things like that. Um, but people always expect a catch. There's always, they're always expecting, like, okay, you're giving me all this stuff for free. Like, what's the catch? Like, you're obviously going to want a sale at some point, right? So, like, with your expertise and your experience, like how would you uh, assess that situation? Like how would you um, help eliminate any possible objections? How would you address their concerns? Like what are some of the things that you would do in that situation? Uh, well, one sales technique, I, I say sales technique, but it's really life technique is, um, you know, have honesty. Honesty is the best policy. So be completely upfront, right? So the, what I've learned in sales is like, 
bring up the objection before they do. So bring up the objection before they do. When you do that, you're building trust. So I, I oftentimes when I start my introduction, I'm like, I'm gonna give you guys a really good idea how to increase your sales, how to increase your business. And then at the end, I'm gonna give you guys an opportunity to say, hey, I wanna have a one-on-one -on -one coach. I wanna have somebody that's accountability with me, that's right with me. It's not you know, one size fits all, it's all customized. And if it's something for you, I'll show you how to sign up. But if it isn't for you, that's okay too. Either way, I'm gonna do an incredible job. I'm gonna bring value for you guys. And if I bring value, guess what I'm gonna ask at the end? And everyone's like, what? Referrals. Absolutely, that's how we get paid. If I do a good job, you find value. Is everything that everybody else should be asking for is referrals. So I'm gonna ask for referrals. And if I do a good job, great. You know, send me some referrals. We'll do the same. So bringing up that beforehand, it's always going to help. That way they're not like, why are you bringing this up? And suddenly you gave us all this great information. Now you're selling us on your service and your product. But if you bring it up before they do, then they're ready for it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's good. That's a good way to, to go about doing it. Um, what, are, what are some of the most like common uh, pitfalls of a genuine, sincere salesperson where they might fall into or use some of the wrong techniques that are uh, perceived as sleazy? Like what are some of those kind of pitfalls that, that a real, genuine, sincere salesperson can fall into? Uh, I share with this from selling books because it's where I learned it. <laughs> I remember, you know, I had great intentions. I wanted to serve people. And we knock door to door. So when somebody opens the door, what's your first instinct? You're like, oh my God. Like, what do you want? What do you want? I don't want it. What do you want? <laughs> and then you're like, well, I'm selling these educational books and they're great for your kids. And you just try to spill out everything. So one thing that I learned is a technique called slow and low. Take your time. Enunciate things. So just calm yourself down. Be confident because a lot of times salespeople, like you hear the car salesman that talks so fast and they don't let you talk. So take it slow. Take it slow. Um, and in my head, we want to just share the value right away. But if we don't know what the need is, we can't really serve them. And you want to think ahead of all the possible objections before they're, they come up. So you emotionally want to be a step ahead of where your client potential client is so it's going to best serve them because you're preparing them so we had a sales script right so when somebody knocks on your door what's the first question that they're thinking who are you so he says hi you know my name is omar and what are you doing i'm the one that's been sitting down with all the families here in long beach doing what showing these educational study guides that help families help kids with their homework for school. What about us? I was just sitting down with your neighbor, Susie and Paul. They have little Kyle and Billy. Okay. And I just wanted to make sure I caught you for a quick minute. I don't have times. Actually, sorry for talking so fast. <laughs> I get to see 30 families today. So it just takes a few minutes to show you. Do you have a place where we can sit down? So you're emotionally preparing people for the next step. And when you do it slow and low, they're actually going to listen to you. So that's one 
area that I see a lot of people just go too fast. They're just talking, 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 and they're not letting the listener or whoever you're selling to talk or listen to you. So if you're on the phone, slow and low, right? If you're in person, slow and low, especially in the beginning, right? So, and then the second step is being prepared of what they might ask you and be prepared ahead of time. So if you know they're going to give you objections, write down all your objections and write all the answers to those objections. So those are some of the things that I see a lot of people not being prepared for. So prepare yourself before you're out there talking to your, your, your clients. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so, okay. So I'll, I got to start wrapping things up here. Um, so I actually wanted to jump right into that special surprise that I promised at the very beginning of this podcast episode. So um, what Omar is giving you guys is you can use this promo code gentleman, that's singular, gentleman, uh, to get a complimentary business action plan from, from Omar. So uh, go ahead and explain what that business action plan will give them, why they might need it, all those different things. Absolutely. So this business action plan, it's really about you sharing your goals, you sharing where you're at in your business or in your sales or wherever you're at in anything. And in this hour, we're going to come up with that. I'm going to share with you uh, what we can do for you. And kind of like what I just mentioned this time, if, if, if you feel that once we're done with this complimentary one hour talking about your goals, talking about your business plan, setting some things that might stop you from reaching your goals and figure out a way that we can support you, then at the end, you'll be like, I love this. I'm going to receive a lot of value because I have a clear mind. I wrote down my goals. I have things that have stopped me from reaching those goals. And then when I do that, then I'm going to be able to help others do the same. Awesome, man. Well, I love it. So uh, listeners, go reach out to Omar Aribe. Uh, find him on Facebook, O-M-A-R-I-R-I-B-E. And uh, send him a message with that promo code GENTLEMAN. Start working with him and just get the ball moving. Keep it moving forward. Get that business action plan and start making some good things happen, some good change in your life happen. So go contact him now on Facebook. And unfortunately, Omar's computer died right at the end of this podcast episode, uh, so I wasn't able to ask him the last and final question I usually ask on the show, but he wanted me to know that he thanks you guys for listening, and he loved being on the show. So um, anyway, it's been a pleasure having him on, and again, Omar, thank you for being on the show, man. It's been a pleasure, and um, I'll talk to you guys again real soon, all right? And uh, make the rest of today extraordinary. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. If you enjoyed the content, give it a like, subscribe, and if you know someone who needs to hear this or wants to hear this, share it with them. Don't hold back. Let them hear it. And if you have any questions for me or my guest, we'd love to answer those questions for you. So shoot me a tweet, DM me on Instagram, leave a comment below on YouTube, or find me on Facebook. If you have Anchor FM, you can message me on my station. The username is at New Inspiration, N-U-I-N-S-P, 
I-R-A-T-I-O-N. And as always, make the rest of today extraordinary, gentlemen.